So today my hope is this, is that, that we can begin to answer the question, how then can we win this war with the battle plan that God has laid before us? So again, here's our first in answering that question. We must get to a point that we realize that we fight in the spirit. If you can't wrap your head around that, you're defeated already. Let me tell you why. By the time things manifest in your presence, it's over. Right? Think about it. By the time a husband and wife has a a blown up argument, it's over. And the hope is next time around, I'll get it right. Right? The, The... Right when a family is disjointed, right when you become promiscuous in sexual relationship, it's too late. It's too late. It is over. But this is the challenge with followers of Jesus Christ is that we're so entangled, we're going to get into this, in these earthly affairs that we lose sight that we're first spirit beings. And to worship God, who is spirit, we must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. So by the time it manifests before me, by the time I say what I shouldn't say, by the time I do what I don't, shouldn't do, it's too late. Now you have to bear the consequences of the action. You follow me? So how then does a, a follower of Jesus Christ get ahead of the curve? How does a follower of Jesus Christ get ahead of the curve that they're not always falling for the okie dokie? <laughs> you know, always falling for the same trick of the enemy over and over and over and over and over again. Can I say this for the record? The enemy has no new tricks. He just keeps doing it. He's going to run the same play over and over again until you defend it. So the challenge we have to realize, uh, embrace is this, is that if in fact it's too late by the time it manifests itself, I must get ahead of it. And the only way you can get ahead of it is acknowledging that this war, this bat- daily battle that you're in, at the end of the day, it is not of this world. It is not of this world, period. So I'd like to welcome you to Commitment Church this year, if this is your first time here. And uh, if you're watching on Commitment Online, we're starting a new and exciting series I'm entitled for you, It's War. It's not against who or what you see. It's war is not against who or what you see. So if you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, and we're only going to be in... Um, The first four verses, um, but then we'll be attending to some peripheral verses, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, it says this. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I Proposed to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses, we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Verse 6. And we are ready to 
We are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. And that's important to underscore there. You're looking at things as though they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself. So you hear that. So we have, if you're confident that you are Christ, you must consider again within yourself, right, that you cannot look at things based upon what you see with your natural eyes. Let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So also are we. So listen, at the end of the fiscal year of 2019, the United States federal government has spent or obligated $5.9 trillion against war. $5.9 trillion against war. Here's the bottom line. War is costly. War is always costly, right? I think we can agree with that. But here's what we need to understand. If you have put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, spiritual war is also costly. It's costly, but listen to this. It has been purchased, though, and paid for by what? The finished work of Jesus Christ. So even though it's super costly, Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, right, has what? Paid for the cost so we can be, what, victorious in all that we do, right? But here's the challenge. The challenge is this. There still is an underlining cost for all of us who follow Christ, and this is, it is this. It costs us to be willing to follow his battle plan. All right? We can say, yeah, I believe in you. Yes, God, I believe that your finished work has abolished all these strongholds in my life, and I believe that you can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or think through the power of the Holy Spirit that rests within me. But at the end of the day, if we don't follow the battle plan, we will continue to lose the war over and over and over again. You see, many of you may need the war in your singleness, in your purity. You're waiting for to be married. At the end of the day, if you don't follow God's battle plan, you're going to fail in your singleness. Same thing with marriage. You can, you can hope and pray and ask God to intervene in your marriage, but if you don't follow the battle plan, the marriage would collapse. Your family would collapse. Some, you know, listen, there's always someone who has to stand up and rise up to the, the occasion to say, well, from my generation on, it's not going to be like it was in the past. Somebody in the family always has to say, well, it's going to end with me. As for me and my house, Amen. right, we're going to serve the Lord. Somebody has to eventually stand up to say, okay, God, I see you have given us clear marching orders. You have given us a clear plan, and I have to courageously follow it, and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. That's just the way it is. Anything of value is going to cost you something, right? So today my hope is this, is that, that we can begin to answer the question, how then can we win this war with the battle plan that God has laid before us? So again, here's our first in answering that question. We must get to a point that we realize that we fight in the spirit. If you can't wrap your head around that, you're defeated already. Let me tell you why. By the time things manifest in your presence, it's over. Right? Think about it. 
By the time a husband and wife has a, blo- a blown up argument, it's over. And the hope is next time around, I'll get it right. Right? The, the, right when a family is disjointed, right when you become promiscuous in sexual relationship, it's too late. It's too late. It is over. But this is the challenge in, with followers of Jesus Christ is that we're so entangled, we're going to get into this, in these earthly affairs that we lose sight that we're first spirit beings. And to worship God, who is spirit, we must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. So by the time it manifests before me, by the time I say what I shouldn't say, by the time I do what I don't, shouldn't do, it's too late. Now you have to bear the consequences of the action. You follow me? So how then does a a follower of Jesus Christ get ahead of the curve? How does a follower of Jesus Christ get ahead of the curve that they're not always falling for the (laughs) okie-dokie? You know, always falling for the same trick of the enemy over and over and over and over and over again. Can I say this for the record? The enemy has no new tricks. He just keeps doing it. He's going to run the same play over and over again until you defend it. So the challenge we have to realize, embrace is this, is that if in fact it's too late by the time it manifests itself, I must get ahead of it. And the only way you can get ahead of it is acknowledging that this war, this daily battle that you're in, at the end of the day, it is not of this world. It is not of this world, period. That being said, it says the word, the word war means this, to be an active service. It also means to fight. So think about this. And this is where many times Christians lose sight of it as well. We go to one extreme to another. We at the extreme of, well, no, 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 well, no, you don't understand. This is all physical. But then we go to the other extreme and, and you're looking around for demons around every corner. And, you know, and, but there's a neutral ground that ultimately says this. There is a responsibility in the spirit realm that also is attached to today. So that being said, our great, one of our greatest tools of engagement, our greatest way to fight is becoming a person who doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this world. You are not of this world. And death proves that over and over again. We're not of this world. So we have to be cautious to be able to make sure that we are always flying above with God's, from God's vantage point all the time. Colossians 3. Set your minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. You have always have to be at that 30,000, you know, vantage point, looking down, not entangling yourself with the things of this world. Because once you start entangling with the things of this world, it will trap you. And ultimately, it will, as I always say affectionately, it will beat you up and take your lunch money. So our responsibility is to understand that there's this active service in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, says it this way. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Why? It goes on to say, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
You know, the one who enlisted you as a soldier, again, is God, who is spirit, and we must worship him and serve him and live for him in spirit and in truth. So the only way that we can please the one who's enlisted us is to become a person who never entangles himself or herself in the affairs of this world. We must learn to live in this world but not be of this world. We must learn to live on Facebook and not allow Facebook to live in us. The word flesh means this, mere human nature, the earthly nature of man, apart from divine influences and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. So again, if we begin to be entangled in this world, walking in the sinful flesh, we will ultimately become opposed to God. It just happens that way. We're going to fall short. And that's why Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, a very familiar passage says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this dark darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It says in where the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. Now, here's the deal. This is not spooky, just to let you know for the record. It should become so natural to you that your conversation changes. Your thinking begins to change, which ultimately changes the way you live life. You got to begin to start looking beyond the veil, beyond what that person says to you, beyond what that person does to you or doesn't do for you. You got to look beyond what you see in the physical, what you feel in the physical, and what you experience in the physical. Because it's truly not of this world. It has already taken place beyond the veil before it manifests in front of you. And by the time it manifests in front of you, game over. So what we have to do is become men and women who who learn, become fast learners and say, this is going to continue to happen this way until I get ahead of it in the spirit. Until I get ahead of it in the spirit. So therefore, again, your conversation must begin to change. Your thinking must begin to change. Your approach must begin to change. And with great balance and understanding that we do not fight against flesh and blood. It's not the person you're arguing with. It's not the person who is disrespecting you. It's not the person who has hurt you. It's not that person. It isn't. There's a demonic influence, and there's a person, there's a being that is called Satan, a fallen angel, who wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. That's his his MO and his operation system, is to ultimately take you out. So if you don't get ahead of him in the plan, right, he's just going to continue to defeat you over and over and over again until you start walking in the spirit so you won't fulfill the lust and the desires of your flesh. And then you'll begin to please God in everything you do. Make sense? We must fight in the spirit. Secondly, we must fight with spiritual weapons. Now look at verse 4 again. Verse 4 again says, It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not what? Of the flesh. So why then are we always fighting with weapons of the flesh? And one of the greatest weapons of our flesh, you know what it is? Our mouths. 
I'm going to tell you how I feel, right? Or I'm going I'm to I'm put you in check verbally to make sure I'm safe. No, no, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. Listen, so if I'm saying something that is not God, why am I saying something and thinking that it's going to accomplish something? I know every time I try to convince my wife or my children or anyone of something and it's my opinion, chances are it's not going to move anyone's heart. But if it's God, if it's his word and it is his heart, well, guess what it's going to do? It's going to, it's going to do two things, either move their heart or it's going to bring conviction in the heart, which eventually moves the heart over time. But if I'm, again, fighting with the weapons of, of, that are fleshly, 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 another form of weapon, uh, fleshly weapons is manipulating with your resources. Your resources could be your mind. You could be like a real good thinker. Resources could be other things, other places, and just manipulate, 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 and try to play God. But as you know, eventually you run out of uh, forms of manipulation, and then it becomes exposed no matter what. But there's about five spiritual weapons I'd like to give to you today. The word weapon here in verse 4 means this. There's tools and arms for warfare. So there's five tools, I believe, important tools that the Bible gives us. And I want to give them real quickly, these spiritual weapons. The first is this, as I alluded to earlier, the Word of God. As Lisa alluded to, it's the Word of God. Listen, that's why people don't come to Bible study. That's why people struggle to come to engage groups. That's why confusion happens about how do we study the Bible? Are we studying the Bible? That's why People manipulate the scriptures. That's why Satan manipulated the scriptures even when he tried to trick Jesus in in, in the wilderness. He was giving Jesus half-truths. And then Jesus replied, said, no, no, it is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he says it is written. So so do you, I don't know if you realize, but we live in a generation, unfortunately, right now that many people, many Christians are biblical illiterate. There are a generation of children that think, listen, that, that the story of David and Goliath is just a fable. There are children today that don't even know stories that, that are based, they don't, know, they don't even believe Adam and Eve existed. There's a generation of people today that we must uh, begin to realize that we, we have to become students of the word of God. Listen, the scripture says what? Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman who need not be ashamed, able to do what? Rightly divide the word of truth. We must become students of the word of God. If you could turn back to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read something real quickly. Verses 13 through uh, 17. It talked about the armor of God and everything. And then verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Why? So that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Then listen to what verse 17 says. And take up the helmet of salvation and what? The sword of the spirit, which is what? 
It is the only offensive weapon in your armory. Everything else is defensive to protect you. Everything else, if you would, it, it's you're on your heels defending yourself. The word of God, you're on your toes coming at the enemy. Why wouldn't the enemy want to say, trick you to think that, okay, you just can't read the Bible, or you're not that smart, well, you need to have a Bible degree, well, you know, you're not the pastor, well, well, you're not, you, right, and just tell you lie after lie after lie after lie. Listen, why won't you just, have this ever happened to you? Right when it's time to open a Bible, you get tired? I've been there. I've, trust me, I fell asleep on God a few times. But what we have to understand is that the word of God is still important. The word of God is a primary weapon against the enemy. And we need to hide the word of God in our hearts so that we won't sin against them. But then also, here's, here's two, number two and number three, that unfortunately I think the church has needs to dust this off a bit, and it's prayer and fasting. If you didn't know, as a church, we, we take the month of October to pray and fast. If you didn't know that, we, we're praying and fasting right now for the month of October. Every month, every year we do that just to pump our brakes a bit to re-engage with God. So why, again, would the enemy say to us or try to convince us that, no, 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 well, prayer and fasting is, is not that important. That's why prayer meetings are some of the least attended meetings in the church. Why? Well, I just distract you. And then you can't pray and see God and ask God to move on your behalf. Why is, why is fasting such a, an obstacle? Or why do we somehow try to say that fasting is not needed? For the record, fasting isn't fasting from TV. Fasting isn't fasting from Facebook. Fasting is not eating. And you say, well, why is that important? The scriptures also say to you and I, whatever you do, rather it's eating or drinking, do it what? For, as unto the Lord, for the glory of God, right? You don't have to expose yourself today, but there's many people, I'm sure, under the sound of my voice that don't even pray and say grace, if you would, before they eat. Especially if it's your favorite food, especially if you're hungry. You just... And just chow it down. Eat, 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 eat. So the scripture says to you and I, the practical thing that you don't even have to think about on a daily basis that you need every day, I want you to stop, pause, honor me, glorify me. So here's my premise. We're, we're spirit beings and we also have a flesh, Right? I don't have to tell my flesh when I'm hungry. My flesh tells me when I'm hungry. Do you realize that is so similar to when a man or a woman is hooked on pornography? Because their flesh says, I want it. 
you realize that's the same issue that a person has who can't control their tongue? Because they say, hey, I'm just going to say what I want to say. Do you realize that's the same problem a person has when they have an issue with anger? When it, pick any sin habit that you have that you cannot break, I will tell you distinctly, you also have a problem with not eating when God tells you not to eat. Let me try to flesh it out a little bit further. If you have a problem when God says, pass up that steak, pass up that dessert, pass up whatever he says, pass up, chances are there's a sin attached to that. In other words, there's a stronghold in everyone's life. Let me read something to you. When Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21, he was talking about there is a demonic influence or a stronghold in someone's life. And he said this, but this kind does not go out except by what? Everybody has a kind. Do you understand what I'm saying about a kind? Short temper. Selfishness. Control. Everyone has a kind of some kind. And I beseech to you today that that kind will be attached to you, will keep you in bondage until you learn how to put your flesh under control. And what prayer coupled with fasting does is it's almost like training day. And when you begin to fast over a longer period of time, water begins to smell good. In other words, if you've ever been there, when you fast over a period of time, your senses are heightened. I mean, butter smells more buttery. You know, salt tastes more salty. Everything is heightened because you can't have it. And you're longing for it. It's no different than a man or a woman who says, I just, I just got to watch this. I just, I just got to, I, I don't know what keeps coming over me. It's because you want it. But why, why, why do I just keep have this issue with control? It's because you want to be in control. But if we can pre- become a church that uses this tool of weaponry, of, of warfare, that we are able to say, okay, I'm going to commit for whatever extended part of time. And you know what, God? Get, check with your doctor if need be and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, if the doctor tells you to fast, what are you going to do? Some of you know Brother Hugh. This man used to get up in the morning and wait for me at his doorstep at 5 a.m. in the morning. But here's the beautiful thing about it. He was disabled with a stroke, lived by himself, and was up at 5 a.m. for me to pick him up to come to church to pray. So one day he said to me, Pastor, he says, wait a minute. The doctor always tells me to fast. When I'm coming to see him, why can't I fast for the Lord? Again, I'm not advocating following Brother Hugh, but what I'm saying to you there is this, is that if there's a will, you're going to figure it out. 
In other words, if you want your flesh to become submissive to the spirit of God that lives within you, you will do what it takes to say no more. And what prayer coupled with fasting does, I believe in my heart, you know, just through my personal practices of fasting, is that it causes me to be in tune with God. It removes distractions. It brings clarity of mind, clarity of heart, and my spiritual senses are even heightened during that time. So why wouldn't the enemy want us not to use this tool? I challenge you today. Become a person who fasts and pray regularly. I just throw this out there. One of my personal convictions is this, and I would ask you to join with me, is that Sunday I, I, I commit to, to praying and fasting or not touching food until God's done with me. That's my personal conviction, is that at the end of the day, God, if I can't go through, but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to touch any food all day until you're done with me. It's a personal conviction of my personal, another personal conviction of mine is if even if I go and people ask me to speak at a banquet, I said, no, well, you could just save the food for me until he's done with me. And you, got, you have to be able to go be with God and say, God, what are you telling me to do to make sure that I put a stake in the ground that my flesh does not have Lord over me anymore? Worship. This is another one, especially for us guys. Because the Bible says to guys, it says specifically, I want men everywhere in the sanctuary to do what? Lift up holy hands. It's interesting he says, tells guys that because most of the guys, we have this issue with exposing ourselves. We have, our, we have this, uh, this issue of weakness, weakness and helplessness. And that's part of our leadership challenge, you know, that we have to deal with and humble ourselves before God. But, but listen to this. Whenever a child wants help, what does a child do? And as I mentioned earlier today, whenever the police wants to get your attention, what do they say? In other words, surrender. 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 And even most ladies are, they, they kind of get there quicker than guys. But when a woman has been scarred, and she feels she has to protect herself, then she morphs into someone who says, nah, nah, I'm closed off. I don't want to show my emotions. I don't want to go there with God because I may start crying. I might start letting it out. So therefore, worship is that way of engaging with God in ways that there is no other way to engage in God. Worship is a part of warfare. Worship can heal. Worship can set free. Worship can deliver. Worship can restore. But there has to be full engagement. 
there has to be an all in with God when it comes to worship. Listen, no, not everyone can sing beautifully. Not everyone can keep a rhythm. But listen, no matter if your rhythm is one, three, two, four, or one, two, three, four, five, whatever it is, at the end of the day, it, it, when it's time to rejoice and, and worship God, there is this responsibility to engage with God as best as you can, you follow me, and not to hold back and resist. Listen to this in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. It says, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army. Can you imagine this, that an army is coming out to get you or to, to fight a battle, and, and the first piece, people they see are the worshipers. No, nobody with, with, with bow and arrow or, or sword or spear, right? But, but the worshipers. And I think that's something to be embraced and something to really hold on to as a church. Can you imagine if we had worshipers in their homes? Every one of us here today are individual worshipers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if we are worshiping freely in our homes, worshiping our cars, can you imagine just the crescendo and just the climax that would occur when we come together on Sunday mornings? You won't even need a worship band. You won't need worship leaders. You won't need anyone because everyone will come in skipping and dancing with a song in their hearts. But this is the power of worship. And again, it's one of those tools that the enemy starts tricking us and thinking, well, I don't like that song. Well, I don't like this. Well, I don't like that. Then division begins to occur and we become powerless. Lastly, and this is a tough one. Five spiritual weapons. Again, the word, prayer, fasting, worship. Here's the final one. Wise counsel. Wise counsel. Remember what the scripture says, the enemy prowls around like a what? A lion, seeking to whom he may what? Devour. Now, if anyone watches, you know, the animal kingdom and so forth, what do the, what do the lions do? They go after prey and they isolate what? They go and they isolate one and then they pounce on them. Same thing happens in the church. Isolates you. Make you think that you're the only one that knows. Make, it, make you think that you're the only one in God who knows. That, that no one else feels your pain. No one else knows your problem. No one else is concerned about you. And he will isolate you and isolate you and isolate you to pounce on you. But listen to what Proverbs 24, 6 says. For by wise guidance you wage war, and in abundance of counselor there is victory. Man, if we can begin to learn how to tap into wise counsel, right? How victorious can we be? Why, listen, why do school systems and, and colleges have guidance counselors? <laughs> right? I mean, there are people who have walked before you and lived before you and have gone through things that you're heading into. There are literal guidance counselors within the church that if you begin to 
commune with the, the body of Christ, you'll begin to see that there, there's in a multitude of counsel, there's safety. And by wise counsel, you'll wage war and you'll find yourself victorious more often. Make sense? We fight in the spirit. We fight with spiritual weapons. Number three, real quickly, we fight with divinely powerful weapons. Now here, this right here, the word divinely means this, things of God. The word powerful means this, mighty and able to do something. So these things of God are mighty enough to do things. So what are really the things of God? Right? Again, it's very easy to just kind of be abstract with this, but the scriptures are very clear as far as what are the things of God. Over and over again, you hear the things of God attached to righteousness. So what you'll find is there's divinely powerful weapons, if you would, I can use this uh, loosely, that are only activated by righteousness. That we can pray and ask God to do and move and be there for us and, and tear down strongholds. But if we're not living righteous, you're on your own. Romans 13, 12 it says it this way. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Then 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3 through 6 says it this way. Given no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry would not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. In, as, in much endurance, in, in affliction, in hardship, in distress, in beating, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labor, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. But listen to what it says. By the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Our weapons, our weapons are attached to righteousness. But then there's divine support given to those who are righteous. Psalm 34, 7 says this. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And guess what he does? Rescues them. And I'm sure everyone in here has had those moments that you just sense, man, God came in and intervened and rescued you. But then also, I believe we can, we can similarly say that there's times that I knew that, you know what? I was asking God to rescue me. And he didn't because I was in the wrong place, wrong time, doing the wrong thing. I put myself in that situation, and God says, I turn you over. So righteousness is, is crucial to begin to, to really access these divinely powerful weapons. Remember, he says that he gives angels in charge over you, plural. So each one of us, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have at least two angels that he has placed over you because it's angels, plural. But let us not be a people that when we call on God, that we're hoping <laughs> that he's dispatching his angels. But we know when we call on him, he is dispatching his heavenly, his heavenly angels. Amen? And, and they're coming to our aid, and he could send a host of angels to do war in the heavenly on our behalf. Amen. Lastly, number four. We fight in the spirit, we fight with spiritual weapons, we fight with divinely powerful weapons, and lastly, we fight to demolish strongholds. 
Listen, at the end of the day, when, when God deals with strongholds, he deals with them once and for all. You know, I don't know if you're ridden by, uh, drove, driven, driven by a building and it says it has a demolition company out there. Then the next day you come by and it's all gone. It's rubble. That's what should be happening in every followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, at the, at, day after day, we're riding by buildings in our lives that are being utterly destroyed by the power and authority of God. It should just be happening that way in our lives. That when it's identified, it's destroyed. When it's revealed, it's destroyed. When we come up against it, it's destroyed without delay. Without delay. This word direction means a pulling down and demolition. This word fortress, here, this is important to grab a hold to. It means stronghold or anything on which one relies. But here's the challenge. Some of these buildings in our lives, you know what? We've chosen to rely upon them. Therefore, they become a stronghold. There's people in our lives we rely upon. They become our strongholds. There's addictions we rely upon. They become our stronghold. Can I also say to you today that that there's certain traits about us. There's even skill sets about us. You know, that we could be so smart, rely on ourselves, and it becomes a stronghold in our lives. You know, you know what a subtle stronghold is? Is when everybody comes to you for all the answers, then you think you're the one with all the answers. It's a stronghold. It's reliance on something other than God. But it's interesting, the Bible also calls the Lord is our what? Stronghold, our strong tower. He's our fortress. So we have a choice either to allow other things, ourselves, other people to become the fortress, or do we allow God to be our fortress in whom we trust? So the challenge is, is that the way we start demolishing these things, we must understand, as James 4, says, 4, 7 says this, submit therefore to God, then do what? Resist the devil and he will flee. We have to become people who realize we can't forget the first part of the verse. So many times we'll, we'll yeah, we got to you know, resist the devil and he will flee. No, you can't risk to resist the devil and see him flee until you first submit which simply says, now he has become your strong tower. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39, you know, very familiar passage. I won't read it there for the sake of time, but it just talks about the height, the depths, you know, the no created thing can do what? Separate you from the love of God. That it is, it is God, God is for us. Who could be against us? Nothing can separate us from his love, that we're overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us and gave his very life for us. So when you look at this, the, the only way that there's two ways you see here that we can see this, 
this demolition occurs in our life is number one, I got to shift who is my strong tower that I have to begin to get to a point that, you know what, God, you are the one that I will submit to. You're the one that I will put my trust in. You're the one that I will rely upon, not myself, nor any other created thing that you are the one and the only one that can deliver me. Then demolition occurs. But then nestle within there, you must get to a point that you realize, you know what? He loves me. <laughs> and just because, it must be gone. He loves me. And he loves me enough to say to those mountains, say to those buildings, say to those things on my behalf, be gone. But we can't be people who neglect that, you know what? I fight in the spirit. My weapons are not of this world. They're spiritual. And I have some divinely powerful weapons at my access, but they're attached to my righteousness. And then also, again, coming to a place of saying, okay, God, I get it. I got to lay this all at your feet and trust you as my strong tower. And I'm trusting you because you love me and you gave your very life for me. And your yes is yes, your no is no. And you're not a man that you shall lie, not a son of man that you should repent. If you act, you know, who can reverse it? If you spoke it, you know, you're going to make it good. That God's going to make it good because he loves us. Amen? Let me give you two closing thoughts. Last is it. Can I just, if you don't get anything else out of this message, this is what I wanted you to get. want you to get. Let God handle it. At the end of the day, when you're up against something that you seem, it seems impossible, let God handle it. Just step back, and maybe you want to use it as a catchphrase in your own heart and mind. You know what, God? You handle it. And just back down and let God handle it. You see, uh, the, it's, the prophet said this to all in Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It says, thus saith the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. It's not your battle to fight. It is not your battle to fight. But then also, this is super important for you to grab hold to, this is your heritage, church. This is your heritage. This is your heritage. Listen to this. This is something that probably you, this verse you probably heard read before. No weapon that is formed against you will what? Prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you, meaning God, will condemn. But that's where most of us stop. But listen to what it goes on to say. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is for me, declares the Lord. Your heritage is God fighting for you. That's just a part of your heritage, that God's going to intervene. He's going to jump in, and he's going to stand as your defense. But you got to let him. That's a part of your heritage. That's a part of your lineage. That is a part of who you are. That is a sealed, signed, sealed, guaranteed through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But you just got to let him. You got to let him. Will you let him? Will you start letting him be your defender, 
by conceding to the spiritual battle that each one of us are in? Will you stop picking up weapons that are physical that you can control? Will you surrender to that, that righteousness is coupled to all of this? And when you get to a point that you realize, you know what, at the end of the day, God, I know that you're my stronghold. You're my defense. And I'm going to submit to you in every situation that I come into so that you can swoop in and rescue me because you love me, period. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you. God, I thank you for the attentiveness of your people. We had a lot to cover just to, to stage this sermon series. And I pray, God, that, that you allow your people to just hold on to it. That, God, that they would uh, digest it and mull it over in their hearts and their minds. And that fruit will come from this, Lord, in some tangible supernatural way. Please, God. Thank you, Lord. Could you stand to your feet, please? And this is what I'd like you to do. Could you just kind of uh, create little prayer pockets with with each other, you know, someone to the left or the right of you, in front of you, behind you. Could you just pray what you've learned today? Again, maybe you're afraid or a little intimidated right now to pray aloud. Don't worry about that. Just pray to yourself. Pray for yourself. Pray for each other. That your eyes will be open, that you can see what God sees in this. That you have the courage just to let it go let it go. The courage to embrace your heritage as well. Just believe God's going to answer your prayers and that, that what you've learned today will just resonate in your hearts for generations.